that's actually like a little bit ironic. I think in the wellness community, you have so many entrepreneurs who are just so into it and they push and push and push. And it's like, wait, everyone's getting better off of what I'm doing, but what happened to me? (laughs) This week's guest is Mind Body Green founder, Jason Wacom. And I had a chance to actually sit down with Jason. We actually filmed this in the summer of 2013 and his episode aired in uh, October, I believe, of 2013. And this was back when we were, our format was primarily a video series. We had this amazing conversation. He was at a point where he had built this media and health company and it was just starting to tip. It was just starting to get tremendous traction. In the last two and a half years, the, the company has kind of exploded. The brand has grown incredibly. Their reach and their impact has grown into this global behemoth. The website alone gets something like 15 million unique visitors a month. They have all sorts of powerful educational programs. And it was really fun to be able to sit down with him again and really just kind of trace the last two and a half years and see how the company grew and also how he has evolved and changed and how he's built community within his organization. He is also the author of a great new book called Wealth, and that's actually not spelled W-E-A-L-T-H. It's W-E-L-L-T-H. And it's really his lens on his guiding philosophy in building Mind, Body, Green and on living a good life. So I thought it was a really fun moment to revisit the conversation with him and dive into that philosophy a bit and share in some of his stories. So really excited to share this conversation with you. I'm Jonathan Fields. This is Good Life Project. You know, maybe it'd be kind of a fun jumping off point to just kind of like jump into the conversation that we were just having before. You know, you and I come from sort of like different business backgrounds and then we're Mm -hmm. coming to it and uh, you walked into our uh, HQ over here and saw a Grateful Dead sticker on the back of my computer and uh, shared that you're sort of like a lifelong, you're like deadhead. Who's, how many shows have you seen? 30-something. Right. And then we were talking about a friend who wrote a book about sort of like the business built around mm-hmm. Grateful Dead. And then you shared the two books on your desk are Peter Thiel's Zero to One and that one. And uh, I think it's kind of, and then you just dropped this thing that I want to pick up on, which sure. is like you kind of had this feeling that you get like, we're kind of moving. There was this really aggressive move towards this sort of hyper-aggressive, hyper-growth, technologically involved. And, mm-hmm. But maybe the pendulum is swinging back more towards like the Grateful Dead bottom. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think it's a balance. I think, you know, growth is still important, especially being a mission-driven company. It's great to, to have a mission, no. but, but it's more important to have a mission that lots of people can, can touch and feel. And, no. But, you know, what I love about the dead is mission-inspired, community-driven, um, and very smart businessmen. And, and just, you know, you talk about brands, power of brands, very authentic, uh, very strong brand. Uh, I was saying how I wrote my uh, college thesis, how I got into Columbia, although I think the basketball helped there. Um, you know, <laughs> And the fact that you're extraordinarily tall, extraordinarily talented. So. <laughs> I, I think that helps. Well, you know, you know about this idea of... I talked about the Grateful Dead and the thesis and the other things I admired. Um, the idea that it transcended, uh, you know, race and class, the idea of, you know, community and, and the idea of authenticity. Yeah. And I think we are really swinging back to that. My sense is that, and that's part of what you're trying to do with My mm-hmm. Body Greens, part of what we're trying to do with Good Life Project is, you know, we both produce media, mm-hmm. but bigger picture, we're both building community. Sure. You know, around a very, like the words you use were mission driven. Mm-hmm. 
And I think we're yearning for for that, you know? Yep. There's been like this window of just sort of digital displacing human interaction. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm not a Luddite, neither you. We both have technology like built into the core of what sure. we're doing. But yeah, the idea of actually just building, you know, sort of unifying community mm-hmm. is so powerful. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and I go back in history, you know, every great movement in the U.S. is largely from the ground up, you know, civil rights, ground mm-hmm. up, not top down. Uh, you know, the, the top can help, so to speak, but at the end of the day, it's the ground, everything is from the ground up. And I think, you know, social media leaves us so connected digitally, but it also leaves a void physically. And I think, you know, being able to experience something digitally is powerful, but it's more powerful to be able to touch and feel it, especially with another human. Yeah, I uh, completely agree with you there. I think digital is a great way to start. Um, yeah. And then it, I think it all, often it's the initiating, like the inciting incident. And then when you meet that person face to face, it's like there's a level of rapport and comfort mm-hmm. that's kind of already been established. Yep. So you kind of, you can go deeper faster. Yep, absolutely. Um, but I think it's important to still meet that person face to face if you can. Yes. You know, if you're in a part of the world where it's actually feasible. Yep, absolutely. Um, so we're hanging out right now and um, you're one of the few guests that uh, is a returning guest. I love it. I'm honored. Thank you. <laughs> and, uh, and it was kind of fun too, because the first time we hung out, I was just looking back at the date, was um, like the end of, two, I think it was October 2013. Yeah, that we was when we were still filming. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Because we actually filmed a couple months before that. Yeah. So it was the summer. So about two and a half years ago. And man, what a two and a half years for you. <laughs> I know. I was thinking about that too. Like, where were we as a company? Where I was? What's the world? Everything. Yeah. yeah. Can you uh, t- just talk me through sort of the, this last two and a half year window a little bit? Because it's been astonishing evolution. Sure. It's been fun. It's been insane uh, and fun at the same time. As a company, we've grown a lot. I think when we were maybe three or four million uniques. Yeah, I went, think you were like right around four million. And yeah. By the way, just for those who, who may not have seen that first one, sure. yeah, Jason runs this amazing company called Mind Body Green, which is how would you describe it? Like, what's the short? <laughs> I always say we're a lifestyle media brand focused on helping you live your best life. Right. And to me, it falls best life equals three pillars: Mind Body Green, and they're all connected. And I can explain why. Got it. And, and we'll go into sure. that. So when we were hanging out, yeah, you were. Pretty early in the journey. And I guess in theory, you could probably still yeah. argue that you are. Early and late, but yeah, <laughs> exactly. We're still early. Right. And, you know, but you were like at this, I remember there was, you were like at a window where sure. it almost felt like when we were hanging out, like there was this thing coming out. You're like, we're, we're like just starting to hit it. Mm-hmm. So take me sort of like to, to, to there and then like here. <laughs> From the business standpoint, that was a year of hyper growth that just happened for a lot of media companies. This was the year 2013 to 14 when Upworthy became the fastest growing media company Uh, of all time. According to Fast Company, I think they went from 10 million uniques to 90 million. Right, in like three months. It was insane, a year and BuzzFeed. And and so we went from essentially 2 million to 10, reached a high of 15. Now we're at that same level and that's actually a great thing and that's a deeper conversation. And so this happened with six people. And it happened when I still did all the social media. It happened really fast. And it was a situation where, you know, growth just happened and it was great. And the wheels didn't fall off the wagon and have spent like the past year or two really 
setting process, structure, defining who we are as a brand, as a company, where do we want to go, who do, who do we want to be, yeah. uh, whereas that year was largely like, holy shit, it's like you're it's riding like a wave, it's life. happening, yeah. <laughs> let's go, we're on it, you know, and, and now it's settling back and really putting things in place to set us up for the future. So. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting, is when you have a year like that, you know, it's almost like it's the, the hockey stick moment that a lot of people talk oh, about. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, it crushes a lot of people. It is. It's good and bad, you know. And I think if the brand isn't tight, if the product isn't tight, you know, it can be the worst thing that can possibly happen to you. But I think when you when you do have a brand, when you do have a product, and you do have also the right people on the bus, you know, it's a great thing. Yeah. But there's still a catching up process and setting infrastructure and yeah. fun stuff. How much of it do you think also had to do with the fact that there was a sort of defining mission? That this wasn't yep. just a technology company, it wasn't yep. just a media company, but there was like something bigger that yep. those six people could latch onto and say, like, we're working for something bigger. Yep. Absolutely. So I think it was two things. One is, you know, Facebook decided to be kind of publishers and that played a huge role in our growth. And yeah. then the second part of this is, you know, wellness has sort of seeped into the culture of America and, yeah. and across the world. And, and we were early on that. Right. And, and, you know, right time, right place write headlines, write stories, and then, you know, touching on community. You know, community is something that is in our DNA. It started initially with me just reaching out to people, talking about meeting people individually. I did that and then just sort of steamrolled. And then community became a thing. It was not planned. It just yeah. happened. And that's why it's authentic. Yeah. You know, a lot of big companies will say, you know, we want community. How do we do it? And I said, well, let's install it. Yeah, let's install it. Like, do they have it at Costco? Uh, it's like, how much for a community? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it just, it's something that's important to us. It's one of our values and it just, it's, it's authentic. So, I mean, but where do you, how do you cultivate that, especially in a hyper growth environment sure. where, like, what are the pillars of like trying to really make that happen in a way that's organic, well aligned? But at the same time, doesn't lock down control because that's like the death knell for community. Sure. It, it's a balance. You know, I think it always starts with the CEO to some degree. Yeah. And I think it's Top something I always. started and people, you know, I lead by example there. And it's one of our values. It's up on our wall at our office. Yeah. Uh, so it's all, always encouraging our team, you know, what are we doing? You know, how are we defining community? What does that look like for you? Like community is not transactional community. You know, how can we support our community? What does that look like? It's something we talk about every day. Mm. It's important. And I think it'll evolve and it's just, it's, you know, and it's one thing too, I think when you're running a company is to like put something on the wall or put a mission statement or define your culture, but it's another thing. Like, what does that look like in a daily basis? Right. It's like, how do you actually live that? Yeah, and yeah. I think part of it's personnel and hiring the right people, and I think part of it, you know, it's a lot of variables. And I think every company struggles with that. Yeah, no doubt. So I'm going to corner you. How, how do you define uh, community? It's a couple things. So I look at community in terms of the contributors who write for us or we produce content with, who we celebrate, and I think they're the community people who love the site, read the site, watch the site. So people who, I would define it as people who are in our, the mind, body, green world. Mm. And for us, it's important to have that relationship not be just transactional. So, so what do you mean? What do you transactional as in, so like for a contributor, is it just simply you're writing a post and there's an exchange and that's it? Right. To me, that's not a great relationship. A great relationship is what are you working on? And, and it's hard to do. It, it is a challenge at scale, but you know it, it can be done. It, it's having a conversation. It's supporting them. It's 
Are you working on a book? Where does your brand want to be? How can we help you? It's a back and forth. It's mm. inviting people to the office. It's not just a transactional relationship where you write, you get followers, you get email subscribers, you get visibility. It, it's it's a give and take. And yeah. I think that's important. And if you're great, you know, we put you in a video course or a class and it's revenue sharing and that's great. But, you know, what it's it's talking to people. It's cultivating talent. It's more than just a transaction where you do this and I do that. And then we wipe our hands and call it a day. Yeah. I, and I love that because it's it's a long-term investment. Yep. You know, and it elevates your, your burden. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, um, it elevates everybody's possibility. Yeah. You yeah. know, so there's a, that, you know, the, the benefit is potentially exponential, even though it's going to take more investment and work for you. Sure. It's just, to me, it's one of these things where it's just like the right thing to do. Yeah. Like, right and, deep and, down. And, and, and yeah. I think the right thing to do is often like good business for the most part. It's just the right thing to do, yeah. you know, so. Which kind of circles back to like the Grateful Dead. Sure. <laughs> right. I mean, one of the things that, that you were sharing with me before we jumped on the mic was, you know, how you could show up at a concert. And people were for like every walk of life, mm-hmm. yet they were unified around sort of like the love of the music. Mm-hmm. Um, but also one of the things that you were talking about was, you know, there's a little bit of like a clicky effect of like the people who are early into the community sure. for one particular purpose. Sure. <laughs> and then like the newbies are coming yep. in and kind of where very often like the early people are like, well, they don't really get what this is really about. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, have you experienced that at all in sort of like the way that you're building? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think, yeah. And I was one of those Grateful Dead snobs and yeah. fish snobs <laughs> in the early days. But yeah, absolutely. I think you see that a lot in the wellness community now. It, it's, yeah. you know, it, it's it's seeped into the mainstream in a lot of ways. And, and it's one of these things where people often view others as you're not hardcore enough and and you know it can quickly become a portlandia episode mm. but and that's something we're careful about and you know we're, we're also we're big now too we're not just a small you know quote unquote blog like right. i really think we're a lifestyle media company we offer other products besides content and so how do you maintain that how do you how do you maintain scale and being big but at the same time being authentic and reaching a broader audience without yeah. quote unquote selling out so. Yeah, and welcoming people in and saying, well, maybe like the people that were calling sellouts, like what's the value that they're seeing that right. maybe actually we should be expanding our lens to see too, mm-hmm. rather than just holding on to like this is this is the orthodoxy and this is the way that it has to be as it perpetuates through every ripple of the circle. Sure. But that's not easy to do, man. No, I think it's something we talk about a lot. And I think with content, we're actively doing this. And I think we're doing nah. a good job is, you know, it's all levels. So, you know, we have the listicle where it's going to suck in a newbie, but then we're doing long form. And that that's attractive to someone who's been been around the block for you yeah. know 10 years or this this is old for them and we've got video courses and events where we can go deeper. So it doesn't matter what level you're at, we can grow with you as you grow within wellness. So yeah. You brought up long form. Sure. It's interesting to me because, you know, we do long form content on this podcast. Yeah. Um, and when we were doing video, you know, back mm-hmm. in the day, we yes. were blasted for doing hour long yeah. videos. You know, people are like, this will never work. You know, nobody has the attention span. Right. Nobody wants long form content. And I was always thinking to myself, but I do. And I can't imagine I'm the only person right. out there. And as I'm like a zag person and I'm like seeing everybody go short, 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 short. And I'm right. like, so I want to be the long person. Yep. Are you exploring that more? And what, what do you find in people's relationship to long form? You need both. Yeah. I think you need both. I think if you're really engaged, you want long form. You want more. Yeah. You know, I mean, especially I, I in, in right. personal growth and health and wellness. It's it's when you're in, you're in. You can't get enough. No. You know, I want to go deeper. Give me more. 
you know, sure that that listicle or that real short piece is great when I'm on my phone on the go, but at night or or whatever whatever the the appropriate time to digest the content is, like you want to go deeper. Yeah. I want to go deeper, and lots of people do. And we find that actually with my buddy Green, there's a direct correlation between length of time on page and length of article. Hmm. Interesting. So people want the long stuff. It's yeah. got to be good. Yeah, of course. But there's an appetite for it. Yeah. I mean, it kind of reminds me back in the day when I was actually learning to copyright. Yeah. And one of the classic questions was, you know, for those who don't know what copywriting is, it's sort of like, you know, when anything that you see written anywhere online or if you got something in the mail where it's designed to interest you and then yes. potentially sell you something, that's it. And You're quite and like, good at that. <laughs> thanks, man. Um, and I knew some of the A-list copywriters and, you know, some of them even took me under their wing. And these guys would, would create what were even back then called magalogs, where it was like literally a 60-page sort of like magazine piece, which was functionally a 60-page sales letter hmm. that you would get in the mail. They would literally mail these to millions of people. And there was this ongoing conversation, which is like, how long is too long? Right. And the answer that that effectively I got back from the best people in the world is as long as you need to get the job done and not a word longer. Exactly. And that could be really long. Exactly. It, it's funny, you know, for our Revitalize event, which is a, a live stream event and we do. Right. Oh, that was talks, a Tucson, right? Yeah, yeah, Tucson the past two years. Uh, we do standalone talks that are, you know, the TED style where it's one person and, and you're up there. And we work with a speaker coach on that, and she communicated the same thing. People would say, well, how long? And she would say, as long as it takes, takes you to communicate one idea very strongly. If it takes eight minutes, great, but it shouldn't take longer than 22. If it takes longer than 22, you got a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like every keynote speaker here just recoiled. Oh, it's, like, I've learned ah. so much about that. Yeah, it's, yeah. Well, it's funny, too, because I speak. I think you do some speaking as yes. well. So, And the typical keynote is generally 45 minutes to an hour. Too long. And, but you, you wonder, so here's my question. Like, is that a function? Is that sort of like the analog to a 250 page book where it's, a, right. it's more a function of the industry says for us to kind of like sell it for X and pay you X, it needs to be X minutes long or X pages long. And so, so you kind of make it so. Right. I, I think so. And I think the way to do it, which I'm sure you do, it's, it's gotta be a performance less than a script. It's, yeah. you know, cue the laugh and I go here and that, and it's, it's a performance versus a presentation. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's interesting. I've, I've, um, it's, I resisted that fiercely for a really long time because <laughs> I was just like, I can't, I can't, but like their performing is not, it's, it's inauthentic was the, right. the line in my head. Then a conversation um, with a friend of mine who, who trained speakers and who's also a former like TV actor and, oh, wow. and who was phenomenal on stage. And he's like, no, it is. He's like the best people in the world with rare exception are a hundred percent scripted and a hundred percent staged. Mm -hmm. He's like, you know, when you see somebody kind of like scratching their head and looking off to like to the top, you know, with their eyes up to the right and then walking to this point in the stage and then saying something spontaneous, which just boom, makes you weep. It's like every word and every moment and every step is scripted. Yep. And but he said the difference is that if you're if you choose to go that route, then you should literally practice that for months and months and months until it becomes the script becomes so much just automatic mm -hmm. that it's so embodied that you can actually then really let go and kind of come back into yourself and loosen yep. up 
or else it feels everything feels like just kind of like right I, I think it's almost like a metaphor for life like anything you have to work yeah. your ass off and get it down and then be open to yeah. possibility and it's that combination of push and pull and i think most people are just used to one or the other where it's just a constant push no room for the quote-unquote universe and then the other people are just open to everything and they're not prepared yeah <laughs> and and it's like this balance i think that the self-help world struggles with yeah so when you speak what what's your approach to that it depends what the venue you know who yeah. the audience is and you know, I always I always say speak to the audience. Like if I'm speaking to uh, if I'm speaking at a trade event for advertisers, right. that's going to be different than speaking to consumers. And just I think the biggest thing is know your audience. Like literally, I was on a panel once at a for an advertising week panel, and the person next to me said she hated advertising. <laughs> and, and, and I'm like that. You're speak like know the audience. You right. know, like she hated advertising, and we'd never do print ad. And it's like just. Pretend to know the right. like, like, like know the audience. You don't have to love advertising, but there was probably a little more tactful way to say that. So I feel bad because everyone you know can't, comes from a big brand, well respected, really powerful brand, and I could see the look on the faces in the room. Like, but know the audience. Always know the audience. Yeah, no, that's a huge lesson. So let's let's kind of like circle back a little bit. I'm curious also, and you have this kind of really cool new book out. I want to touch down on some of the ideas in sure. it as well. But I want to come a little bit full circle on your sort of like last two and a half year journey. So we've seen like the company experienced tremendous growth. And mm -hmm. one of the things you also just kind of dripped out is you shot up to 15, then back to 10. Now you stabilize at 15. Mm -hmm. And like, that's a really good thing to yes. sort of like have that boom, boom, boom. Yep. Why? So... What Facebook giveth, Facebook can take it away. <laughs> uh, and so, heard from so many people. I yeah, know. <laughs> and so you know, my background. I was a trader, and you know, I believe in everything. Everything works until it doesn't work. So when we grew, when we that growth spurt happened. Facebook represented seventy percent of our traffic. Wow, which was great, but right. back of my mind, saying, this control. is not going to last yeah. forever, and I don't want to be completely reliant on any one thing for anything in business. And so spent the last two years focused on diversifying traffic, what's quality traffic versus quantity. We also have an e-commerce component, like what really drives that. So I've spent the past two years diversifying, you know, and 15 was a little bit of an aberration. Like we essentially went to 12, we had one 15 month, but we've been in this range. And so we went from, Facebook representing 70% of our traffic to now it's down to 35. Hmm. It's a lot healthier and we've stabilized and now more of our traffic is email, better relationship, you control that relationship. Right. You know, people like it's direct relationship, it's healthier. And so it's a much, we're in a much better place rather than depending on one source of traffic. So Upworthy is now I think at like 16 or 17 million uniques. Oh, wow, they dropped to 90 to, yeah. back down. Huh. Yeah. And so there's this direction we're going to. Like, I don't believe in traffic for the sake of traffic. Yeah. You know, I believe in healthy traffic. I believe, you know, we're a lifestyle company. We have a commerce component. Like, for us to succeed, you know, I don't want, you know, sure, I love traffic, but we don't need to get to 50 million or 100 million uniques to really succeed. We need a really strong group of people who believe in Mind Body Green and follow us, right. you know, as we get into other more commerce and events and who are part of the tribe. Like, I want a tribe, not just traffic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a balance. You know, you need traffic, you need scale. We have that. But like, if we're at 10 or, or 12 or, or 20, it doesn't really matter for, you know. 
Yeah. For one, it matters. You know, you don't have scale right. problem, but yeah. once you have it, it's, you know, so. Yeah. And it's also got to be, you know, because you've also scaled up your staff a lot from the sure. six people when we were hanging sure. out. What, where are you at now about? 30. Right. So yeah. that's, you know, a 5X yep. on the size of your, you know, the people who work there. And that sort of like hyper growth combined with like kind of like a whiplash, you know, like mm-hmm. pinball effect has yep. got to be just brutally hard psychologically on the people who are in there every day. Like, <laughs> Yeah, a lot of people came on later, and it's been a process of defining the brand, defining the culture, finding the right people who work out, you know, in the culture. And and we've had hits and misses with people. You know, hiring's very hard. I think now we're quite good at it, but in the beginning, you know, we weren't so good at it. And I think a lot of people struggle with that. What do you think was the turning point there? I think you start to see, like, what types of people work and what don't work, and, like, qualities start to stick out. And like certain things come to the forefront and then you just get better at interviewing, you know, what questions to ask. And like, you also have, you can go back on time when you've seen little red flags and you just, you needed to make the hire. So you made it and then it bit you in the ass and having a lot tighter process. And now I think we're quite, it takes a while. And I think every company struggles with that. Yeah, no doubt. So you get it. Is there one like overriding thing that you look for in somebody that you're going to bring into your family? Well, I think it's a couple. One is, I think, passion for health and wellness. Mm. I think passion can't be taught. Uh, I think it's super important. I think we'll, we'll never be as good as we could be if we're not passionate and not the top of our game. And I do think if you're passionate about health and wellness, we're the best media company to work for. So I think that that's, I think people who work hard too, you know, I think work ethic is one of those things. It's hard to really teach. Yeah. You know, I always like hiring athletes, ex-athletes. Oh, no you kidding. Know. Well, you, the things you, you show up on time, little things. Right. You, work, you tend to work hard. You tend to be competitive. Things that are instilled in me, but right. they're hard yeah. to teach later in life. You know, and I, I do think 80%, there was a great article I read in hard, hard, Harvard Business Review about hiring the other day about like a fast food chain in the South that's like growing super rapidly and has like very low turnover. It's insane. They hire for attitude first. Mm. And then they can teach the skill. They train the aptitude. Yeah. So yeah. like, are you passionate? Do you work hard? If you have a brain, like we can, we can work with you. Yeah. So. I think that's such a powerful way to do it. But like you said, a lot of times in the beginning, there's like one specific skill set that you just have to have today. So sometimes you overlook that right. just to get that, you know, competency installed. But yeah. over time, it always comes back at you. Yeah. And I think a lot of companies, I think it's like, it's defining your culture, seeing right. patterns. And then once you have it and it's tight, like now I think we're getting phenomenal people. Like That's it, awesome. It's great. And I also think people are really interested in health and wellness right now and like leaving other careers. They want to work. There is this like, you know, movement of wealth. <laughs> you know, it's like people want to work for a company that, you know, they values share values. Yeah. Exactly. So. No doubt. I think it's so important. Do I remember you working with your wife? Yeah, she works with us full yeah. time. Yeah, every day. Right, and that and was, we live together too. That, <laughs> it's like you and you and me both. <laughs> it's so funny because we have. I mean, you know, we love being around each other yeah. all day, and and you know, sometimes we have to like you know remember turn off the work conversation at home problem. at night. Yep, same problem. You know, a number of people have asked us like, how do you? How does that? How is that even possible? That. <laughs> And we're like, right. you know, it's not, it's not right for everybody. No, it's not. But we have the same values. We, 
you know, really complementary skill sets yep. and we just genuinely love being around each other. Yep. So it works really well for us. Yeah, we're in the same boat. Yeah. But um, we have the same problem, shutting it off. Yeah, I mean, that is the single biggest challenge. Last word comment. We, we use that line all <laughs> oh, the time. Really? Okay, last word comment. I'm like, I don't, <laughs> last word comment. That's gotta be like a Slack, like a hashtag on our Slack. <laughs> oh God, yeah, last word comment. <laughs> like just for the entire like team, just like hashtag last word comment. Okay, we're all done for yes. the day. Yeah, but that is, I mean, that is it. I mean, you know, we're sitting here in in an office and we built our own studio, which is literally, you know, like a, an eight minute walk from our home. And part of the reason we did it was to create a physical, yep. you know, a physically different space where we can, we can kind of close the door on the office, mm-hmm. walk back, you know, together and kind of like use that to maybe just start to transition into yep. So a different state of mind, different conversation. Yep. So um, let's kind of segue into uh, what you're working on now. You have a book out called Wealth, spelled. <laughs> W-E-L-L-T-H. Right. Why that spelling? You know, it's it just sort of happened. You know, this idea, I, I saw the word a little bit here and there, but this idea, you know, it's part of my personal journey where wealth is about health. Mm. Sort of a play on that word and and really loved it and just decided to go for it. Yeah. So. And w- which is funny too, because before you started Mind Body Green, you come out of a, you know, like a trading yeah, yeah. <laughs> background. So you were really like, you're working with money every day mm-hmm. on a large scale. So it's an interesting sort of like redefinition or reframe. Yep. I want to bounce through some of the ideas and they're some of the common ones that I'm kind of avoid actually, but sure. One of the things that you talk about is uh, is work. Um, you actually tell the story of your uncle. Yeah. Um, would you, can you share that? So in the book, I talk about my uncle. Uh, it's my only uncle. My father was an only child. My mother just had one sibling. And so my uncle, this guy who worked his ass off for 40, I think he's 71 or 72 now, like his whole life, just really the, the consummate worker uh, was a banker, was an entrepreneur for a while, had a deli in like the fashion district in the 80s when New York wasn't so fun. Mm-hmm. You know, just worked and worked and worked, never really, you know, always put family first, always would spend on family, never really spent on himself, not because he just, he, he's really giving guy, you know, finally gets to retirement. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, he finds out he's got stomach cancer. You know, it's just like this, what, what the hell was I doing? You know, climbing the ladder and, you know, for a few extra bucks, which is great, you know, supporting the family. But like to talk about devastating, you work and work and work. And then now I've got my retirement is chemo, you know, so. And I think the paradigm that so many of us live by is, you know, you work for retirement. Mm -hmm. That's when I'll live. Mm -hmm. And, you know, thankfully, you know, like at least from what I know, and you probably actually wrote the book about a year before, but the way the way the story is left is that, you know, he's. Yeah, he's actually he's like good. he's he's good. He's good. He's got like a little left, but yeah. like it's negligible and he's he's good. Yeah. He's good. Um but it's gotta be a huge wake up call. You oh, know? Yeah. When that happens to you and you're you know in your early seventies, sure. you know, there's I'm sure you know you think things through also, but for you to also well, I guess you saw it where you had already had your own wake up call. I did. I did. For me, it was 9 11. Yeah. You know, and I think also, too, I worked, you know, I didn't come from money and always wanted money and, you know, pay off my school debt and just I, money. I was drawn to money and then finally made money as a trader and my life, a relationship was sort of falling apart. And all of a sudden, it was such a defining point. And on one hand, 
I finally have all this money. On the other hand, I've got a relationship completely falling apart and I'm miserable. So talk about, you know, contrast. To me, it was a big wake up. Like, money's not happiness here. Mm. And then things sort of went from there. Yeah. So, I, I mean, at this point, what's your lens? Why do you work? I love what I do. You know, I, I love, I believe in this idea of wealth. I believe in mind, body, green. I believe in helping people. I'm passionate about what I do. I love that I get to meet all these amazing people. I love that I get to sit here with you. You know, I love that we're, you know, the, the letters we get, the people we touch, like that's awesome. I, I love it. But the challenge I have now is, you know, I think I love what I do so much. I never, I work all the time. Yeah. So on the flip side, like I don't want to be the guy and I have to be careful about this where I don't have, I work so much where I'm, always thinking about what's the next vacation I could go to. Cause mm. it's, it's just a shorter version of that longer story yeah. where I'm working and working. How do you create a life where you're not always looking forward to the next vacation? Yeah. Even though vacations are still important. But. Yeah. I wonder also, and I wonder if it, it sounds like this might be something that spins in your head too, but you know, when you actually do something that you do enjoy so immersively, mm -hmm. whether, you know, that can take you down a rabbit hole. Absolutely. The same way like an artist just becomes, just loves yep. to paint. Yep. And you start to just ignore, you know, all the other parts of your life that are, you also like kind of forget. Sure. I really enjoy that. Like, I love working out. I love my relationship. Sure. I love, so it's almost like you need people or, or triggers to pull you back out. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I think my wife is good at that with me. Uh, I think I've, you know, I, I find time to meditate. I find time. My yoga practice has evolved. I don't go to the studio like four or five days a week anymore. Now right. it's a home practice and it's two or three days a week, but it's something. And I think you have to find time. And it was, it's actually like a little bit ironic. I think in the wellness community, you have so many entrepreneurs who are just so into it and they push and push and push. And it's like, wait, everyone's getting better off of what I'm doing, but what happened to me? Yeah, <laughs> so That's something I, I, I don't ignore and, and I've almost gone down that path where I'm like, whoa, like I need to yeah, myself I've, here. Uh, same thing on my side. I've had to catch myself <laughs> yeah. many, many, many times. When um, like back in the day when you yeah, actually ran a yoga studio. Yeah, all we were, this yoga is making me sick. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, but this was a really big issue because we, there was a, a window of time where I ran a yoga studio. We were, we were training yoga teachers and, one of the first things that we saw happening on a pretty consistent basis, and it wasn't just, you know, like our teachers, it was just teachers all over the place, was that the busier you got as a teacher, so many teachers started to um, walk away from their practice. Yep. And yep. I think it was a, a combination of the fact that you get, you're just getting busier, a combination of the fact that I sometimes like would think that there was this psychology where if you had two private clients and taught three classes in a day, at the end of the day, you kind of felt like you had practiced because mm -hmm. you'd been in the room through right. like three classes and like working with two privates. But in fact, you know, you had really emptied your system right. rather than right. filled it the way that practice right. your own personal practice was. Right. So we actually, when we were training teachers, we instituted what we called our, our MDRs, like your minimum daily requirements. Oh, that's great. And we told teachers, we're like, look, it doesn't matter what happens when you get to the end of your day, like... You, like you cannot go to, to sleep, like do not rest your head on the pillow unless you've done, you know, like this, this, and this, right. you know, 15 minute, really basic practice, a little mm -hmm. bit of pranayama and a little bit of meditation. Mm -hmm. It's not optimal, but at least it's like a maintenance dose. Exactly. You know, and cause we found that so many people, the busier you got, the more you started to leave your practice and mm -hmm. it's just self-destructive. Yep. Yeah, it's interesting that that uh, you picked up on that as well. I think everyone has that challenge. Yeah. So the um, 
one of the interesting things that you also um, you explore with the idea of work, and this was in the context of Colleen, of your wife, mm-hmm. was this idea of thinking three steps ahead. Sure, yeah. Which I thought was kind of interesting because yeah. it's also, there's this really interesting tension between being present now, but also being intelligent about what's coming. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a yeah, little bit about I think this. A lot, I think there are a lot of people out there who who necessarily aren't that happy in their current career and, and want to make a change. They want to do it and they can't do it quick enough and, no. they're, and they're ready to do a 180 really fast. And I think that's that's quite a, that's very hard to do. A lot of people can't do that. Huh. And I so, think especially later, as, as you get further you get older, into it gets life. harder yeah. and harder when you're younger. You, you have a lot of responsibility. Uh, so it's this idea of, of, of thinking three moves ahead. And I use Colleen as an example in the book. Uh, Colleen also passionate about wellness and her background, uh, she went to Stanford and then worked in retail, you know, worked at Old Navy and Banana Republic at Gap, and then wanted to get out of the fashion box, so to speak, wanted, wanted to get more closer to me before we could actually hire her. And so she took a job at Walmart. And once she took the job at Walmart, it became, oh, wait, Colleen's not in retail. Colleen works for Walmart, mm. the biggest retailer in the world. She's not in this, fas- this, this, this fashion world anymore. So it got her, got her out of the fashion box. Then at Walmart, she took a job at Amazon. And then instead of being, I work in retail, oh, I work for the biggest e-commerce player in the world. Mm. And then that led her to, she worked at Organic Avenue, where Organic Avenue looked at her and said, Oh wait, we're looking to to scale. We've got someone who's worked for the biggest e-commerce player in the world, right. the biggest retailer in the world. So it allowed her to get to her passion, but it took and then that led her to Mind Body Green, where she had, you know, experience in e-com, in in, in branding, in in wellness, and then right. just fit perfectly for me. And it's that notion of sometimes you have to take steps to position yourself. It's very hard to just do overnight. When you're younger, I think a little easier, but still difficult. Yeah, and, and I think there's also this really interesting tension because we tend to, we're in a now culture. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, why can't I just make a, a massive leap to this? Sure. You know, and why can't it just happen instantly? And I think there's a large expectation of, well, I can and I should be able to. Um, yeah. And sometimes, so the, I think the idea of looking three steps ahead and kind of mapping it out and saying, well, you know, there's there may be a series of, you know, like smaller steps and moves. You know, sure. it's almost like, yeah, it's chess versus checkers, right? Sure. It's kind of thinking, okay, like the greatest chess players, like they see the board, you know, like 10 moves out. Yeah, and sometimes you don't even have to see it. You just got to start yeah. moving. You right. know, it's like I didn't become a successful entrepreneur. It took 10 years. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's not something, you know, I think people read a lot about, you know, the Facebooks and the Twitters of the world or, or, or Uber. And, the, you know, the reality is that's not, that doesn't really happen that often. Yeah. Um, so why they call me unicorns. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, and more and more, I think we're going to see a lot of the unicorns losing their horns. So I, I agree. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I love the, I'm, I'm actually glad you sort of like offered that reframe too, because there, there is a big difference between thinking three steps ahead and just taking the first step. Exactly. Which, you know, a lot of people will just get up into their heads and try and like map out what those steps are going to be. But very often it'll take three steps, but you won't actually know. Exactly. You know, you take the first one and that's what reveals the second one, which reveals the third one, which then reveals like the place you actually want to end up. Was there a moment where um, both you and Colleen knew that like you both wanted, you, she wanted to be at Mind Body Green, you want to be at Mind, you would love to have had her there. Sure. But it was like, ah, God, we didn't want to make this happen, but there's really like, the spot 
is not there for what you do. <laughs> sure. Or just in general, you know, I yeah. think Colleen always wanted to be there. Except in the beginning, it was it was me for almost three years, no salary. Right. Colleen had to work, you know, very, Colleen was very understanding and supportive. It was me, full time, all in, no salary. My co-founders, Tim and Carver, were kept their day job and were working nights and weekends. So they're literally, they're, and, and Colleen would write guest posts. She would help with that. She would do anything he could. I think secretly yeah. always wanted to be there. And then in 2013, it, it just, ha it, it worked out. She was leaving Organic Avenue. We needed help with ad sales. And it was, this isn't your background, but you're close the best enough. available, close right, enough. Yeah. And like, I know you're going to be great. You're like the best available player, so to speak. Like, right. let's go. And she's been great. And so, yeah. Yeah, that that's moment. awesome. One of the other things that you talk about that I found interesting was belief, this idea of sure. believing. And and that's, it really resonates with me because one of the things that I, I come to realize more and more what Good Life Project is about is, is inspiring possibility. I've really come to believe that one of the biggest failures and simultaneously the flip side is unlock keys for people going out there and actually building the lives that they want is mm -hmm. believing it's possible. Sure. Take me into why you felt this was important to explore. I think so many people don't believe. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think it's a simple, it's simple, but it's hard. And I think it's very easy to believe when everything is great. I think it's yeah. very difficult. What's that great line? Something like, like faith is, is believing without seeing. Yeah. And I think it's hard, but I, I think there's, you know, I think, I think what was it like Steve Jobs or I read this recently and I think it's so true. It's like, we're all just people. I think for the, some are smarter, some aren't as smart, but for the most part, what separates people who are extremely happy or successful in their definition, I, I think part of it is, you know, I think it's, I think it's belief and attitude and, and work, you know, it, it's this idea that, you know, if you can't believe, you know, you're just, if you don't believe anything's going to happen, it's just not going to happen. You know, we're in a world where I think anything is possible to some degree. But if you don't believe it's possible, then probably not going to be possible. Yeah. I mean, what was that? Um, the like the, the big Steve Jobs novel, what do they call it? Like his um, like zone of, it wasn't delusion, but it was like. Oh, yeah. The, 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 the yes. I know exactly uh, what you're talking about. What the, the distortion reality yeah, yeah, field where he would just convince everyone. <laughs> right. It's like, you know, he would sit there and say, like, like people are like, I can't do that. I'm yeah. like, I'm not capable. I don't have that. Like, it's, it or it's three not months. possible. No, it's three weeks. Right. And he, but he, I think that was one of his geniuses is right. that he had the ability to convince people that the impossible was possible. And right. once they believed it, it kind of like wires your brain to sure. start to just figure out ways to make it happen that Absolutely. wouldn't, where well, your brain wouldn't have worked on that level. Well, what was it? The four minute mile? Yeah, yeah right. Roger Bannister. Yes. And then boom, boom. And the next thing you know, everyone's doing it. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it is, it's something that's, I, that tends to be explored in a somewhat metaphysical level, but yes, I think exactly. it's much more basic than that. I do. You know, um, in fact, you kind of break it into sort of like yeah. three phases. Yeah. And I, I think it's like believe in seeing and, and doing. It's like this idea of, you know, believing you can do it and then, then seeing yourself doing it. Yeah. Uh, and then also doing. And I, and I like this idea of, you know, the small wins. Yeah. You know, you got to start off small. Small wins bring confidence. You can focus on bigger things. And, and, but like simple things. Like I, in the book, I talk about like this idea of like, you know, eat, you want to eat healthier. You want to maybe lose weight, you know. Focus on like one meal a day or two, you know, you're going to have a salad. What does a salad look like? Like feel it, taste it, you know, and, and move forward from there. Then you've knocked it out for this day and you feel good about that. Then you build off of that, yeah. you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. 
Yeah. I mean, it's like, I think it's also probably easier to believe, well, I can eat a salad today yep. rather than I can eat a salad for life. Right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, um, are you familiar with BJ Fogg's work? Yeah. Yeah. So his, his whole thing is like, he's like, you know, there's behavior. I think he, he sort of splits behaviors into three different things. One is what he calls a dot, which is like, I'm going to do it one time. I'm going to eat a salad today. Right. Like that's the easiest thing to motivate yourself mm -hmm. to do. And then next is what he calls a span, which is like, I'm going to eat a salad every day for 30 days. Mm -hmm. Still doable, but it gets a lot harder, yep. you know, to keep the level of motivation ability up for that. And then the final, I can't remember what the final one is, but it's basically, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. It's nearly impossible yep. for somebody to commit to that. But if they commit to the smaller things, it just starts to roll over Absolutely. and become for life or become the span and then yep. for life. And it builds confidence and confidence is everything in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, and when you validate that it's it's actually possible through your own, like you said, like chunking mm -hmm. it down your own little, like little iterations and experiments. You're like, Oh, wait a minute. You know, like your own experience is validating your yeah. belief. And I think that's really powerful in life when you can draw back on things, when, you know, when adversity sets in, you can draw back to specific moments. Well, you know, this happened and this happened and I was okay. Yeah. And I moved on and I did it. And then having that in your bag, so to speak, to go back to is really powerful versus having nothing when you can't draw back on personal experience and you're just, Sort yeah, of feeling screwed. I agree. I think it's. I think it's huge. Did any of that come out of out of your experience, sort of as an athlete? I'm curious. Oh yeah. I mean, it sounds like a lot absolutely. of it must have, right? Yeah, absolutely. I I think you know, in retrospect, I learned more about life from playing basketball than any anything I ever learned in Columbia or yeah. <laughs> in learning. I think my some of my greatest life lessons came from playing basketball. Yeah, I mean, it's funny too because now. Um, one of the first, I get like two of the first things that are cut from education now are um, physical education and art. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, you look back, and the ancient scholars all knew that there was pretty much no such thing as a scholar. There were scholar athletes, like they understood the relationship between athletics and and scholarship, mm -hmm. and also just movement and exercise yeah. and how it affects your mind and body. And yeah. that's also one of the things that you explore sure. is the fact that you know the what's the there's this great line that you have. It was like the body. The body doesn't wag the mind, the mind wags the body. Right, yeah. um, which is counterintuitive for a lot of people, sure. but I think the science is really there now. Yeah, it's catching up. You know, I, I think a lot of people would agree that stress is very real and stress affects you physically. That stress is, you know, I always say too, like you can't really eliminate stress. You just have to learn to deal with it. And I think stress is debilitating. It manifests itself in different ways for different people. I say in the book, I think stress hits you where you're weak physically. Mm. Um, and, you know, for lack of a cliche, you know, stress is everything. And, I, and, I, and to your point, I think science is catching up in a big way. You talk to anyone who's probably not feeling well or experiencing a serious illness, you know, you start talking to them. You know, it's like Lisa Rankin, you know, our yeah. friend, Mind Over Medicine. People start to open up their mouths and stress pouring out. I think that's, I, I think science is catching up in a big way there. Yeah. Stress hits you where you're physically weakest. Take me I a little so. more into that. So for me, I personally have experienced that where, you know, I talk about in the book, in my journey, I came to this, I had excruciating back pain, I had uh, two extruded discs and I'm pressing on my sciatic nerve and my back was weak from an old 
basketball injury combined with flying and stress and uh, the spiritual level i always thought it was very interesting because it was the root chakra and the root mm -hmm. chakra was it's around money worries around that time <laughs> my money was was very very tight and not abundant so to speak and, it, and that was sort of a spiritual awakening where like whoa like all you know it's always a spiritual person but when it happens to you it sort of really sinks in mm -hmm. so i think that you know became very clear and then uh, you know i had a parasite a couple years later and anytime I was stressed, the stomach would flare. The parrot, like I would get sigh, like mm. it just it would it would came, and then and then I got over it, and my stomach's fine now. And like, but there was definitely patterns. Like when stress hit, it would go back to the back when the back was weak. When stress hit with the parasite, it go back to the stomach. I would notice it. Mm. It's amazing how our body works that way. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it's one of these things. Like, oh yeah, mind, yeah. body, one, and so, and then you start to experience it. You're like, yeah. holy, holy shit. It's, no, and it's the same on this side. I mean, I have old injuries, and I know that when I'm really under stress, you know, like I had a shoulder it. twice reconstructed. I'm like, oh, why is my shoulder hurting? Because <laughs> there's nothing that I did to my shoulder, yeah. but you're know, like, that's where it goes. It's weird the way we're wired like that. One of the other things that you explained, which I thought was kind of interesting, is love. Yeah. Why? Like, what's where do you where does this fit into your sort of paradigm? Well, you know, I always think love is interesting because you're either looking for love or you're in love, and I think a lot of people want to improve their love life, improve their relationship, and I and I also think there, you know, love is also not enough too. I think love is important, but I think there are. You know, I talk about this idea of soulmates and there are different types of soulmates. And, and uh, you know, in the book, I say that there's the the kind of soulmate that's, that's I, and Gary Zukoff in Seed of the Soul talks mm -hmm. about this idea of the soulmates who come and help pick, you know, get you from A to B. And they're there for very specific amounts of time. And soulmates is also like a very debatable thing. Like some people will say like, that's it. You know, that's the end, right. end note. So I think there's that type of soulmate. And I think there's also the forever soulmate. Something that, I think as a culture, you know, I think we, we, we yearn for that. I think personally, it's what I believe. And it's this idea that there is someone out there for you. And I talk about my own relationships that have worked and not worked and, and lessons I've learned there. It's interesting that you sort of like identify that there's like a, a transitional soulmate mm -hmm. <laughs> to get you from point A to point yeah. B, but like they're that person for this moment or for this journey. Yeah. And then there's sort of like the overarching, I'm, I, I need to sort of like explore that a little bit more in my mind. It's, um, I haven't thought about it that way. I was going to say that there's, I was revisiting recently the longest running ever study on uh, that sort of like, I can't remember the name of it, the Harvard study on men where they sort of tracked these, like it's a 70 year, 70, 75 year long study where they tracked Harvard grads and then sort of like people from like the area at that time. And literally they were reporting in you know, on mm. a, a regular basis for now something like seven decades and looking at every aspect of their life to try and key in on like what were the things that you know allowed people to live good lives to be right. happy right right and like the big emergence one of the big big things is like across the board love yeah and it's uh sue johnson who's dr sue johnson who, who's actually in the book uh talks about this a lot you know she always says that the science is there is we're mammals and yeah. We need, we, we depend on one another. You know, we need love. We need relationships. We are not meant to be flying solo. She believes that wholeheartedly. Some people disagree, but it, she makes a, a pretty powerful point. 
Yeah. But I also think, I'll add one okay. thing. I don't think you need someone. I think there's a difference. Okay, you don't take me there. need someone to be fulfilled. I'm glad you said it because there are going to be people listening to this no, saying, like, I'm, I'm, no, I'm not in that relationship no. now, so and, I can't live and in that I also, life. Well, I'm also saying that's what Sue Johnson says. Right. Like, I also believe wholeheartedly you have to be personally fulfilled. You cannot depend on someone else for your happiness and something else I'll talk about in the book. Like you need to be fulfilled. You need to be happy. You cannot depend. Someone else will not bring you fulfillment. Someone else, a partner can, can, can bring you more happiness and more joy. But if you're, you cannot look to someone else to help fulfill you. That is a recipe for disaster. So it's when, a bonus. <laughs> so when Tom Cruise looks at Renee Zellweger and says, you complete me. Oh, uh, that was, yes, yes. Jerry um, Maguire. Right, Jerry Maguire. That's not entirely healthy. <laughs> no, it's not. It's this idea of like, you know, exactly. You know, I, I think when you find the right partner, it's, you know, I say this in the book, it's one on one equals three, not one on one equals one and a half or two. No. And, and I think, you know, as individuals, I think you need to be in a place where you are happy and fulfilled. Yeah. And someone else is a bonus. Yeah. So like, like, you know, I, I agree and disagree with Sue Johnson there. You know, I think, I think once again, if you're looking for someone to fulfill you, you will be not happy. Yeah. And, I, <laughs> and, I, and, and I, I often wonder if you, you will perpetually not find that person until exactly. you fulfill yourself. And exactly. then it's almost like when you turn back to a place of really cultivating self-love and self-fulfillment and self-satisfaction, yeah. there's a radiance. There's like a frequency that emanates from you yep. that is so much less needy and yearning that I, I feel like that goes out and this is where absolutely. I get a little bit woo and no, but like that person who truly is going to be like more of that long term Absolutely person. and like, like attracts like and, yeah. then, and then there's the part two of this equation where relationships are hard work. People change, yeah. they evolve and no you're doubt. You know, two human beings and what does that look like? Like, you know, relationships are work. No, not like the movies all the time. No. <laughs> No. But they're awesome, though. Yes, they are. And you can actually work with your spouse and rock it. <laughs> yes, we don't sit next to each other. <laughs> we have very different styles of working. And it's funny because I'm and my wife and I are the same the same way. Like we do different things, we work in very different ways, but it just kind of works. Yep. So let's go full circle here. So, and I asked you this question two and a half years ago, but I'm going to ask it again. So, uh -oh. the, so the name of this, we're, we're going to do a rigorous comparison now, but. Um, the name of this is Good Life Project. So sitting here today, if I offer that term out to you to live a good life, what comes up? To me, it's 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 having a sense of purpose, meaning, significance. It's this idea of, you know, what I say in the book, you know, it's a, this idea of wealth. I think it's all the same thing. You know, it's this, it's a mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, environmental well-being. I think all these things are, I think that's a good life. You know, I think this idea of wealth is is a good life. I think we're in a place where it's 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 more than just the individual. It's it's our relationships. It's our connection to the universe or spirit or whatever you believe in. It's connection to work. It's connection to your, you know, your your tribe. Uh, it's a connection to the environment too. It's connection to you know we we are in a place where everything is interconnected, and I think you can't have one without the other. So I think a true good life is truly interconnected across all these things. That, that's where I think, you know, in some ways, Oprah and her message of living your best life has evolved, where I think it used to be a very, like, singular message around, largely around self-help. Self-help's great, but 
if you're not taking care of your body, if you're not taking care of the environment, if you're not taking care of these things are all interconnected, you know, you're not going to have a quote unquote good life. And I think that's where things have evolved. And that, you know, I think is a message of my money green. I think it's a message of wealth and it's how, how to create that life. You know, this is the book, you know, I say, I wish I would have had 20 years ago when I started to go on this journey. So Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you found something valuable, entertaining, engaging, or just plain fun, I'd be so appreciative if you take a couple extra seconds and share it. Maybe you want to email it to a friend. Maybe you want to share it around social media. Or even be awesome if you'd head over to iTunes and just give us a rating. Every little bit helps get the word out and it helps more people get in touch with the message. I'm Jonathan Fields, signing off for Good Life Project.